Welcome. This is the Life Habits Podcast Series, and my name is Carl Vradenberg. This is the series that helps you to learn new habits to optimize your life in order to stay sane in this crazy world. This is episode number 53, and the topic for today is Conquering Confirmation Bias. The topic today comes from a suggestion from a listener who made a comment on the website at lifehabits.net. His name is Randy, and he had made a suggestion for a number of topics, and I did actually review those topics in a previous webcast where I summarized where some of them, some of the topics that were suggested, had been sort of dealt with on the podcast before. But I also, I think, was experiencing a little bit of confirmation bias myself in going through that list and realized that uh, upon further reflection that what he was suggesting was deeper and more specific than what I was interpreting. I was looking through the list of topics and trying to discern basically whether I had touched on any of those topics before in a podcast. And so when he proposed focusing on exposing and conquering our confirmation bias, I made the point that we had touched on that topic in episode number four, The Power of the Mind. While we did touch on a number of different uh, biases at that time, cognitive biases, we did uh, not go into any real detail with regard to exposing, understanding, and conquering the specific one of confirmation bias in any depth. And so I thought it would be appropriate to follow up in this session with a dedicated podcast on conquering confirmation bias. So thanks very much, Randy. Now, what is confirmation bias? Basically, it's a a cognitive bias, like many of the other ones that we talked about in that episode on the power of the mind. But this particular one is a cognitive bias Like many of the other ones that we talked about in the Power of the Mind episode, these cognitive biases are common errors or limitations in human perception, in memory or thinking, that leads to faulty judgments or distorted views of reality. That in general is the definition of a cognitive bias. Now, confirmation bias in particular leads someone to, first of all, interpret and evaluate information in a way that confirms to our own opinions. And number two, to avoid any information that contradicts our own opinions or views. So someone who is affected by confirmation bias uncritically accepts evidence supporting a particular belief or opinion and is often you know, critical or skeptical of evidence that contradicts a belief or an opinion. They are often engaged in what is referred to as cherry-picking, selecting and exaggerating supporting evidence while ignoring or downplaying contradictory evidence. I had commented on uh, the social networks about the fact that I wanted to work on this topic and address it on this uh, podcast episode today. And one of the listeners, Scott, wrote back saying, uh, you might want to touch on the Dunning-Kruger effect in the podcast as well, Carl. And so this is a related bias that involves the unskilled sufferer rating their own ability as above average, much higher than it actually is, while the 
highly skilled underrate their abilities. So when you really think about it, these are fundamental biases and the ways in which we process information and the way we filter what we experience in the world and what we take from it that, in my view, dramatically affects the ways in which the world operates. You know, in general, biases or cognitive biases tend to change the way that we perceive the world in ways that we're often not aware of. But fundamentally, all of these biases and this confirmation bias in particular, I think, makes a huge difference in the day-to-day experiences that we have. You simply have to read the news, watch news on television, speak to your friends, and you're going to get an awful lot of polarization of views and a lot of, man, I can't believe that somebody doesn't get it, that this particular point of view is the the best one to have and obviously supported by all of the evidence and the like. And you just can't understand why somebody can't see things the way you see them. Well, a lot of that comes down to confirmation bias and we all engage in it. It's a human trait, it's a human mechanism that I think we use to process a lot of information. And as Randy is suggesting, we really need to, I think, understand it, really need to expose it to ourselves and in others, and also to basically conquer it. And I think if we did that and had a much more unbiased view of everything going on in the world, I think the world would be a better place. So here are some quotes to get us started on the recommendation part of the podcast. Thomas Jefferson said, the moment a person forms a theory, his imagination sees in every object only the traits which favor that theory. Charles Darwin said, ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge. Bertrand Russell said, one of the painful things about our time is that those who feel certainty are stupid, and those with any imagination and understanding are filled with doubt and indecision. Now, what's interesting about this as well, just before we get to the top 10 list, is that I read a a research study that used an MRI to study where in the brain confirmation bias may in fact come about, and What it really reinforced was, without getting into the details, is that confirmation bias is very much an unconscious activity and is often driven by emotions, or the emotional part of the brain. That tells us how entrenched it really is and how, if we're going to make a difference in it, we need to really work hard on it. So, going down the top 10 list for today, number one is to examine your current practices. You got to make them conscious, you know, as that research study suggested that a lot of these confirmation bias processes take place unconsciously and are emotionally based. I think we need to fundamentally spend some trying time trying to understand what it is that we do today. Think about the newspapers you read the people you listen to, the blogs you follow. Think about all of them. Are, are they all of one particular view? Are they really a set of views that really just reinforce the views that you already have? You know, do you look at anything else that isn't safely in that 
set of, of uh, media that reinforces your views. Number two is to read or view an alternative view piece. You know, people thought that the internet would be the liberating force in terms of all this, right? That uh, there was a view that in the past when we only had newspapers and we only were limited to certain types of television shows, also even from just your part of the world, wherever you live, that all the information in the past was governed by and curated by and controlled by particular kind of interest groups. There's a view that when the internet came around, we now had access to information from anywhere. You could now read news directly from a country that... uh, that you were interested in, but not just hearing it from your own country's point of view. But what's happened is that, and there's been a number of investigations into this recently, is that while that was the promise, by and large, most people tend to still gravitate to the same kinds of, you know, kind of biased views that they did before, even though all that information is out there. So there's an awful lot of alternative views out there now that are readily accessible for you. But think about it. How many times do you actually do that? Do you uh, look through information that may be coming across your computer screen, for example, that uh, may be an alternative view to the one that you have? Do you read that one? Or do you just skip over it and read one that you yourself have that view? So this number two is to find an alternative view piece and Just immerse yourself in it. Number three is to follow someone on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, randomly, just absolutely randomly, or look through the the master feed, if you will, of everybody, not just the people that you follow. Or if you're on Facebook, to friend someone with an alternative view to your own. Might be a friend of yours, might be an acquaintance of yours that you don't feel that close to, but they have differing uh, views from your own. You know, on my own uh, Twitter list and uh, Facebook list, uh, I've got very different people with regard to views of my own. And I, I find it really refreshing to read what they write, to read what they share in terms of things that they're immersed in and want to share with the world. You get a truly different view. And a lot of that time, the first time you read some of that, you think, oh man, I had no idea the uh, the depth of that uh, that particular point of view. So if you're on the social media sites, try not to just hang out with the people that are comfortable, people that are of the exact same view as yours. Number four is to do a Google search for opinions opposite to yours. You'll be surprised what you'll find. And the beauty of this is that you can do a lot of this just privately. You don't have to be publicly dealing with these kinds of topics necessarily right away. You can just privately get a sense of and make yourself more of a rounded human being by really trying to immerse yourselves in a view that is different from your own and get that perspective from somebody that is passionate about that. And you also have to get beyond the the headlines, so to speak, right? You, you can often uh, be aware of what an alternative view is just from like a brief little synopsis of what it is. But if you actually do some deeper reading on, you know, these topics, I think you're going to start to find that there's more to it than uh, on first blush. Number five is to focus on the facts and not opinions wherever possible. 
an awful lot of these biases that we experience, and particularly the confirmation bias, is one that is often imbued with too much emotion. We talked about that it is based on the emotional part of the, the brain. But So if you move a lot of these kinds of discussions and topics that are kind of central to your, to your being, if you make them more cognitive, more thinking, rather than simply emoting or, you know, feeling, I think you also have a better shot at trying to understand an alternative, you know, point of view. Number six is to admit when you don't know enough. This is such an incredibly liberating uh, idea when, uh, when you really think about it. A lot of the time we have opinions and we form opinion, opinions about topics way too fast. Somebody only needs to have one or two bits of information and they come out with a really fully developed, emotionally backed view on a topic. When in actual fact, they really don't know enough about it to even venture an opinion. So if somebody asks you what you think about something or other, and you really don't think you know enough about it, just say that. And you'll be amazed if you were to say, well, I don't really know that much about it. I've read a little bit about it, but, you know, let me know what you, you think. What have you read? You're going to learn a ton. <laughs> just admitting that. I think I've told you before about a friend of mine uh, that I had in, in high school uh, who died young of uh, of cancer and the last year uh, that he was alive he went through a real transformation he had this wondrous totally open-minded view about the world and would just ask a lot of questions you know would admit that he didn't know something well and he learned more during that time and i learned more and about the approach to doing that and also quite frankly an awful lot anyway being with him when he was regularly saying well i don't really know much about that can you tell me about it so it's important not to form opinions before you really know enough. And, you know, the quotes I'd refer to that as well, that those who are ignorant of particular topics are often the ones that are most confident of their views. And as you know more about a topic, you get, you know, less adamant and less categorical about your views on it. So uh, it's a good idea not to form an opinion when you don't really know enough. And in fact, even admit that. Number seven is to debate the opposing point of view. This is an experience that I had in uh, undergraduate university when a particular professor decided to give it some really important experiential learning. This guy was into sort of experimental educational techniques. And what he did at the beginning of the year was get us to list the topics that we felt most strongly about. And then time went on in the course and turned out that for the last assignment in the class that he was now going to assign the 100% of the total mark of the class on the basis of we needed to debate. We needed to be convincing in the arguments that we made in this final debate. So two people would be paired up and you would need to make all of your points of view and your case for the item or the topic that he assigned. And we were all sort of really getting ready because we knew it was linked to the topics that we had proposed at the beginning of the year that we felt most strongly about. And they were, but just before we needed to go up and do the debate, he told us we needed to argue the opposite point of view. So here's people now that have, you know, spent up to that point in their lives 
strongly of the view on any of these topics that were right, you know, in their DNA, so to speak. And here they needed to, for the purposes of the marks in this class, argue the opposite and be convincing about it. And it was interesting, right before we needed to go up, all of a sudden you saw this frantic activity where, you know, those folks would go to find somebody in the class that were uh, of the opposite point of view and just try to do some, you know, cramming of getting their points of view. And, you know, when we went through that exercise and actually uh, tried to do the, uh, the debate, everybody in that class, I think, learned something that they've never forgotten. I certainly learned an awful lot from that experience, and that is that we often think that we know the alternative point of view, but we really don't. We know it, you know, in a caricature. We know it in a little thumbnail sketch of what that view is. We only really know our own point of view. In order to really be rounded individuals, we need to have that broader view. And one of the best ways to do that, and I'd actually suggest that, it's really the the uh, suggestion in number seven here, and that is to seriously have a debate with someone else. You can just be a friend of yours where, where you do it in a safe environment, but discover the degree to which you don't know an alternate point of view. And also then think about, okay, I want to read up a little more. I want to, I want to ask some other people that are of that view. What's, what's their sense of this? To really try to get depth on and get beyond, you know, your, uh, pat answers to, you know, those kinds of debates. Number eight is to consider what effect polarization causes on the world, country, family, personal issues. Think for a moment in terms of the motivation that I think you should have on trying to address this topic of confirmation bias. When you think hard about what may have happened yesterday, if you have children, if you have others that rely heavily on your opinion, you think of others around you that have really polarized views and the effect that they have on others. Think about the way that people learn, especially children, how they learn a particular point of view. Well, they often are only exposed to one set of facts, one set of views, one set of opinions, and as a result, go into this world with a totally biased, totally filtered view of what actually is going on in the world and what is important. And I really firmly believe that if we continue ourselves as human beings to further foster this kind of bias, we're going to end up with a far less desirable world, far less desirable experience, even ourselves, our own personal interactions with others. If we continue to carry out activities and interpretations based on the confirmation bias. And so uh, I share Randy's desire to fundamentally make changes to the ways in which we do this also, not only for our own benefit, but also for the benefit of the others that we influence. Number nine is to think about what you're modeling for your for your kids. And this is this one that is related to the one that I just mentioned. But when you think about the impact, which was really the uh, one that I was talking about with regard to eight, you know, what kinds of polarization effects result from, uh, from having these singular views, these biased views around. Think specifically about what you are doing and the ways in which you may be influencing people around you, whether that be if you have children, but also if you have others around you, call, colleagues, co-workers, friends. Think about 
not so much what they're doing, what impact they have. You can observe that. That's sort of the sense of, of this number uh, number eight. Number nine is really this notion of what can you do differently. So think about the activities that you've engaged in recently and what would have been different if you had said, now, wait a minute, I want to understand this perspective a little more. I mean, everybody in the room, let's say when you're having a discussion you know, at a friend's house or a bunch of you getting together, you know, in the cafeteria university, or you've all sort of had a, a discussion at a conference, let's say, um, uh, at work. You're all of a particular view. What would have been different had you investigated the alternative point of view or even just simply suggested that you consider what might actually be a broader perspective on the topic? You don't have to come rapidly out on the opposite point of view, but really think about the ways in which you would change the conversation if you were to inject an idea to actually consider a particular topic from a broader point of view. What's interesting here too is to think about a lot of us, I think, have this perception that we're just fair, rational human beings and no, we don't suffer from confirmation bias. We all do realize it. We all do to varying degrees. And so it's more a matter of accepting the fact that you do do that and starting to make some of those changes. So think about the way that you might approach the situation differently. And and I purposely haven't gotten to particular topics because this affects every single topic, whether we're talking about the interpretations of a sporting event, whether we're talking about major political uh, happenings, uh, whether we're thinking about religion, when we're thinking about, you know, attitudes of what's happening in a relationship or within a family or at work or in university, there's all kinds of topics that are affected by this confirmation bias filter. But I'm suggesting here is that you think about the ways that you can start to change this particular perspective. And number 10 is consistent with a suggestion that I often make, and that is to find yourself a role model, somebody that is really good at even-handedness and fairness. You know, when everybody else in the room just jumps on, you know, the same point of view, there is one person, and often it's somebody that is very good at doing this, that doesn't necessarily generate sort of the wrath of everybody else in the room for having an alternate point of view, but has a way of communicating that makes others think, makes others step back and not be quite as fervent in their views. That kind of person is the person I think that you want to start to observe and get a sense of how do they do that? And it might be somebody in your friend's uh, sort of group, maybe somebody at work, at university. It may also be a politician. It may be a religious leader that you see how they don't actually, you know, engage in the whole let's get on the bandwagon here and, and all have a, have a single point of view. They're the ones that are very effective at presenting either an alternate point of view or even just the introduction of a suggestion to not be quite as singular in our views with regard to a topic. I firmly believe, and I think Randy does as well, at suggesting this, that a lot of the problems of the world can be attributed to confirmation bias and our engagement in it. And I truly believe that if we make even small changes in our own lives, we'll feel better for it ourselves. We'll be 
better human beings, more rounded human beings. And if all of us did our own part in moving this issue forward, the collective experience among a group of friends, let's say, and then a whole community, and then a whole country, and then countries of the world would also start to change as well. So I think it's an incredibly important topic and is one that I encourage you to adopt and to start to address so that you can expose and then conquer your confirmation bias. So that's that topic. Let's move quickly to a couple of uh, bits of feedback that we get. Again, you can provide feedback in the iTunes store. You can also provide it on the website. You can also uh, send it to me directly at lifehabits at gmail.com. And of course, the website is lifehabits.net. And you can also go into uh, iTunes in whatever country you're in and make a comment there as well. The first of the two comments comes from the U.S. iTunes store with uh, five stars being given to the podcast and a comment by Ken W.J., who says, I really enjoy this podcast. The information is amazingly diverse and seems to be based on good scholarship and research. I have it on my iPod and listen often and re-listen to particularly helpful ones. The information is aimed at being practical, not just theoretical, accessible to a broad audience and applicable to everyday life. And it succeeds. Thanks. And thanks, Ken. And from the website, Hi, Carl. I've recently discovered your podcasts and think they're fantastic. I'm semi-retired, but nevertheless find your hints for good habits very relevant in my daily life. I hope there are lots more to come. Thanks again for sharing your wisdom. Kind regards. Barb from Australia. Thanks so much, Barb. Thanks so much, Ken. Thanks to all of you for listening to this episode and continuing to follow this overall podcast series. That's it for this time. Talk to you next time. Bye for now.